From the Orion Policy Institute, this is Orion Talks. Our podcast brings together experts for a conversation about events shaping the world at the local, national, and global levels. Tune in as we discuss foreign policy, security, human rights, political and economic development, and various other issues. Hello, welcome to Orion Talks. I'm your host, Oa Chubukju. The protests in Iran inspired by the death of Mahsamini have been unfolding. Mahsamini was arrested by the morality police for not wearing her hijab in an appropriate way, and she died on September 16th. Her death poured thousands, if not millions of women onto the streets and sparked nationwide protests. Our guest today is Kroos Siabari, and we will discuss the current situation and whether the protests can lead to a breakthrough in Iran. Kroosh is an award-winning Iranian journalist. He's a correspondent for Asia Times. He has been writing on Iran and regional politics, and his writings have appeared in several media outlets, including foreign policy, national interest, and the new Arab. Kroosh, you have been following the protests very closely, and it has been more than seven weeks since the beginning of the protests. When you look at the current situation overall, do the protests are cooling down or heating up? And what do you expect to see in the weeks and months to come? Right. Um, first, thank you very much for your invitation uh, for me to be part of this conversation. I believe that uh, the protest movement has been a very progressive, uh, forward-looking, uh, social uprising characterized by people uh, voicing their uh, grievances about the shrinking of civil liberties and um, their space for expressing their identities, their collective identities. Uh, and I believe that the death of Massa Amini was just a trigger to all of these uh, grievances and resentments coming to surface and um, people actually finding an opportunity to express their dismay and unhappiness about uh, a number of uh, social fault lines, including the government's continued intrusion into people's lifestyle choices and the fact that the government for the, uh, not just over the past one or two or three years, but for the past four decades has been treating the idea of compulsory hijab as a um, political instrument uh, to actually uh, curtail and circumscribe women's public presence and the manifestation of their identity in public. Um, I mean, over the past year, since uh, President Ibrahim Raisi took power, um, he reinvigorated and heightened agitprop uh, around the idea of compulsory hijab. He put new resources into the morality police departments uh, and specifically, he actually uh, put new resources into uh, this initiative for the promotion of the virtue and prevention of vice, which is a religious entity, a religious watchdog tasked with uh, policing uh, lifestyle and uh, people's preferences um, to actually Islamicize them. But um, this uh, is just a tipping point, an inflection point when people's um, unhappiness with this uh, continued obsession with uh, the idea of compulsory hijab uh, has just been uh, reflected in a massive nationwide protest movement. Um, I mean, people have been continuously voicing their uh, dissatisfaction with how the morality police has been functioning, how it has resorted to violence and um, aggressive methods of policing people's behavior on the streets, dragging, shoving, pushing women, uh, verbally abusing them, insulting them in order to correct their appearance. And this has not worked. I mean, and the morality police is not an, a new invention. It has been in place for the past two decades, at least. Um, and now people are just um, expressing uh, with a collective voice, not just the liberal-minded progressive Iranian women, but I mean, even the more conservative, religious-minded Iranian women are joining them, um, voicing um, and expressing that we are jaded, we are not happy with this practice anymore. Um, I mean, uh, to say that the protest is fading out or just still um, um, on, a, on an upward trend uh, would be a mischaracterization of the movement uh, because over the past six weeks, um, we have been seeing that people have... Um, expressed their frustration and indignation in different ways, uh, ranging from civil disobedience to um, 
acts of defiance, walking up to riot police forces, uh, having angry conversations with them on the streets, uh, people um, creating artwork, I mean, the form of uh, paintings, songs, uh, different forms of art to express uh, their protest. Um, people uh, spray painting graffiti on the streets um, and women starting to remove their headscarves in a display of defiance. So we have seen different forms of um, um, people contesting the government's rigidities and orthodoxies. Um, so even if the protests come to an end or are extinguished or are just simply suppressed because of a crackdown, um, what we have seen so far is a social uh, upheaval that has been successful in uh, showing the Iranian people's uh, worldview, their mentality, the fact that they want a life that is not um, actually uh, circumscribed or um, targeted by a set of rigid orthodox government dogmas and mantras that are inflexible and unbending. So I guess, um, I mean, uh, I'm not uh, capable of predicting when this will come to an end or for how long it will continue. But what I can say is that so far, uh, this protest has been a very potent and uh, compelling social force that has um, demonstrated the Iranian people's wishes, aspirations, because it first started with an uprising uh, triggered by resentment over the death of mass Amini and also uh, people's unhappiness with the government's continued resorting to force to actually uh, roll out compulsory hijab laws. But then it evolved into a broader movement that um, involved um, people from all walks of life, uh, even people as young as 15 years old um, and, and, and as, I mean, uh, high school students have been joining the movement. So uh, this is now implicating uh, different sectors of the Iranian population. And um, to a large extent, this is a very um, persuasive social movement that is showing how Iranian people what, uh, want to live a better life, prosperous life, and what aspirations they have. And I mean, we can discuss this further, but uh, so far it's been a successful uh, social uprising, uh, at least in terms of challenging a set of orthodoxies that the government has been sticking to for uh, several decades. And also in terms of drawing international attention uh, to the cause of the Iranian people who are struggling for their freedoms and their rights and their civil liberties. Oh yeah, thank you so much for the insights and it triggers many questions <laughs> also. Uh, uh, so you, you mentioned about the, the demand from the public and also it's not the first time, you know, the Iranian uh, people are uprising. So we had like 2009 Green Movement or um, 2018, uh, 2017, the, the protests uh, against the government for the economic crisis. So when you make a kind of comparison uh, between the previous uprisings, protests, and this one, so how this one is different than the previous ones? I mean, the major difference uh, between what we're seeing now unfolding on the streets of Tehran and other cities, and what we experienced previously in 2009, 2017, 2019, is that this movement is exclusively about civil liberties and social rights. And uh, also we are um, seeing the central role and the leading role that women have been playing in a spearheading and leading this movement in 2022. Um, so uh, this uh, movement is also uh, actually um, epitomized by the motto, women life freedom as it's uh, actually central slogan. Uh, women have been chanting this and men also have joined them to chant women life freedom, which means uh, the nature of the movement is pretty much um, revolving around uh, women's rights, human rights, and a broader set of uh, civil liberties that people perceive have been uh, attacked and uh, actually uh, uh, suppressed um, violently. And um, also what we're seeing is that, uh, I mean, other than some forms of rioting that we have seen, uh, which uh, is not endorsed by any, uh, um, I mean, country or na any nation, uh, the nature of the protests have, has been pretty much peaceful and um, pretty much um, civil. So people have joined uh, in uh, acts of 
civil disobedience, removing their headscarves, or people just uh, chanting a song, or just gathering in a neighborhood this, um, um, square uh, to um, just hold a vigil in memory of Mass Amini or other forms of protest that we have seen have been quite peaceful in terms of people producing artwork. I mean, so many uh, interesting, moving and um, inspiring in illustrations, uh, paintings have been produced in response to the demise of Mass Amini and uh, the broader movement that uh, actually became known as the Women Life Freedom Movement. So I guess uh, this is, uh, a unique movement also because of the leading role women have been playing and also because of how unifying it has been in terms of bringing men and women together, um, demanding uh, uh, actually um, unique set of uh, reforms um, and, not, and, and then it evolved into a broader movement that is actually urging more fundamental changes with some of uh, protesters simply calling for regime change. That's a different conversation, but I believe the, the fact that this movement has brought people from all stripes, um, all social, ethnic, um, lingual backgrounds, Iranian Kurds, Arabs, Azeris, people in the North, uh, Baluchs in the Southeast, and all um, Iranians have been actually joining forces together to, um, commemorate and enshrine uh, a shared um, motto, a shared uh, goal, objective. So um, as opposed to what we saw in 2009, for example, or 2017, this is not anymore about Iranians belonging to the middle class or urban Iranians or educated mm -hmm. Iranians coming together to demand change. This is about Iranians from all walks of life whether they are in impoverished or rural areas, whether they are in urban areas. And this is also um, straddling uh, different age groups. People as young as 15 years old are uh, now involved in the movement. This is staggering and this is really um, surprising because, um, I mean, I personally <clears throat> don't believe that so many young people like high school students or the younger should be politically engaged in day-to-day -day politics. Um, this might be kind of disruptive to educational or intellectual development. And um, we should ensure that in a healthy society, young people at least are given the space and opportunity to prosper in their own uh, ways of life without being um, preoccupied with the daily politics, but Iran is a very much politicized society. So, I mean, in every household, in every gathering, everywhere, in, in a bus stop, in taxis, in barbershops, in restaurants, everywhere, these conversations are about politics. Uh, what the president said last night, um, I mean, what's happening with the next um, Friday prayer when um, the Supreme Leader is going to address this, the, 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 to give a sermon. So um, every day the conversations revolve around um, deeply political issues that, I mean, are inconceivable in different setting. Uh, people, for example, investigating or scrutinizing uh, what the minister said or what the nuclear deal is going to uh, lead to. Or, I mean, this is uh, one of the downsides of Iran as a highly politicized society. And this is because of how the country has been run. The leadership demands that the country continues to be politicized because of how it um, relies on a popular support and such, a, um, such an unconditional and um, uh, loyal support to the establishment cannot come from a society that is not deeply politicized. So. Um, I believe um, the fact that so many young people, including high school students or even younger people are involved in this protest is very much telling in terms of how it has connected people from uh, different backgrounds and different belongings uh, with each other in order to come forward and um, actually start a, a semi-revolution or just an all-out revolution. But I believe that um, this is mostly um, different from previous rounds of protests uh, erupting in Iran in terms of the centrality of uh, civil liberties and social rights and human rights being the um, unifying uh, motto of the movement. So in 2009, I mean, um, people were just disgruntled because they believed that their um, vote 
was stolen and the fact that the election was rigged and they were just demanding that their votes be recounted or their, their favorite president to be um, installed. In 2017 and in 2019, protests were mostly triggered by people's perception of their shrinking um, purchasing power, the fact that hyperinflation and a staggering um, rise of prices were uh, putting people's livelihoods at risk and, I mean, bringing them to the end of their rope. But now people are uh, very much, um, I mean, taking a pretty much different approach to their vision for the, for the conclusion of this movement. Many of them are demanding re regime change. Many of them um, are already saying that we don't care anymore if we uh, risk our lives, if we are dead or alive. What we seek right now is freedom, is um, the uh, fundamental change. And pr pretty much many of the demands are much more radical than what we saw previously. So uh, in the past, many of those who were part of the protest believed that um, some reforms could be implemented within the frameworks of the structure and establishment. People, many of them at, at least right now, believe that uh, this cannot be uh, implemented within the frameworks of, this, of the Islamic Republic. So they are demanding much more radical changes. So we can have a different conversation about uh, where this is leading, but uh, these are the major distinctions of this movement as compared to what we saw previously. Um, uh, thank you, Poroshino. This is really... Um kind of so much insights and um, when you especially talk about what's the motivation like especially we see this is not a kind of like anti-hijab or anti-islam movement but even you know the protesters blame their hijabs um, it's pretty much about against mandatory hijab rules and the and the regime so when you look at the overall picture do you see this movement as a kind of anti-regime movement or anti-raisi movement or is that kind of liberal or feminist movement? How do you characterize it? Um, I think we should uh, be uh, very much prudent not to identify this movement as an anti-Islam or anti-hijab movement, because even many of those who are on the streets chanting and protesting and putting their life at risk are devout, pious Muslims, uh, and they are joining their sisters um, asking for their rights to be respected. So, uh, and even many of those women who have put their headscarves on fire or are removing their headscarves and are chanting against the compulsory hijab, they don't have anything against Islam as an ideology or they don't have anything against Islam as a lifestyle or um, a tradition. They have been born and raised in families uh, in which the majority of family members, the, the parents, the siblings are uh, practicing Muslims. So um, I guess this movement is all about uh, people uh, demanding um, and calling on the government to respect the differences, to uh, start acting in such a way that people can have the impression that um, Iran, like other Muslim countries, other Muslim majority nations like Turkey, Malaysia, Indonesia, even um, the Arab countries in the Persian Gulf, such as Saudi Arabia, which has started recently to relax many of its hijab laws, or UAE or Qatar or many other countries that have come to an accommodation with the idea of hijab, They've, they're just asking the government to function in such a way that they can also have the feeling that Islam is not coercing them or intimidating them or just limiting their freedoms. Um, and they can also have the virtue and benefit of living in a plural and um, diverse society. Um, and that um, for many people, I should say, they have come to the conclusion that if this is what Islam represents and stands for, then we are against Islam as well. But they are the most extreme voices. The majority of people are just, um, they have traveled, they have experienced firsthand how countries like Turkey or Malaysia and others are functioning and how they have been able to at least roll out and offer certain freedoms to their citizens, even though in within those societies, there are also voices who are complaining about uh, political Islam being uh, a light motive of the government's decisions, but still uh, people believe that it's possible to live in, a, in, a, in an Islamic society, live uh, under an Islamic rule, and also at the same time not feel um, suppressed, not feel uh, abandoned, or not feel um, forced to do things that they don't believe in. Um, I mean, this protest, uh, to a large extent, um, 
emanates from people's grievances about how they have been treated over the past four decades. And those young, young Iranian, Iranians who haven't been uh, around for, for example, four decades or three decades and are just uh, being witness to the more recent and contemporary realities of the society, they are um, um, just resentful because they believe that this is not what they deserve. So uh, this is not how they should be treated because they have one life. They want to live it in as much uh, a liberal and free and unconstrained way as possible. So um, this is connecting people, especially the young Iranians, um, with a leading uh, idea that the government should not intrude into people's lifestyles. The government does not have a mandate to uh, teach people how to dress or how to uh, adopt um, a culture of living or how to uh, practice their ideologies. And, and they believe that the, the government at some point needs to make a decision to stop um, encroaching upon people's liberties. So, um, I mean, to, to say that this is an anti-government protest is perfectly fine, this, that's an accurate characterization. Um, to say that it's an anti-Raisi uh, protest is also accurate because it was President Raisi who started this rabble-rousing um, idea of um, every day. I mean, I was listening to his speeches and the speeches and statements by his ministers and other officials every day. Um, they were complaining every other day about uh, how lax um, women are being in terms of their compliance with the compulsory hijab rules. And uh, when you listen to some of their statements, uh, you and if you're not living in Iran, you can have this picture that, okay, maybe there is something really uh, unethical or immoral happening on the streets of Iran and people are not uh, noticing that. But then when you just start to actually browsing the streets, when you see what's happening in reality, everyone, every woman has got a headscarf on their head, uh, every woman actually needs to, they're required to uh, wear a loose fitting and long robe and uh, something that um, actually uh, is not revealing. So the, it's pretty much that every woman in the Iranian society is uh, dressing in a, a conservative way. Uh, there are nuances as to the colors and the styles, but still there is a, a unity, there is a unanimity in terms of how women should dress, how women should dress and how um, they should appear in public. So I guess uh, the fact that the government authorities have been complaining all the time about um, women's dresses, dressing styles and their adherence with the compulsory hijab laws and the imperative of uh, renewing the mandate in actually passing new legislation or kicking up propaganda and um, publicity around the idea of compulsory job, all of these together created an atmosphere that was very toxic. Um, and it was, I mean, upping the ante and upping the pressure on women publicly because every day a cleric, a, a government pundit, a government minister, they were continuously discussing this idea, and this was becoming an, an inextricable um, obsession for um, the government authorities, um, pretending as if all of the government's problems had been solved, all the society's problems had been solved, and that was the only thing that had to be addressed. Um, so to say that it was an anti-Raisi protest is correct, to say that this anti-government is correct, because they are women and all of those who are protesting are seeing the government as the culprit for this misery and these hardships they are being subjected to. Uh, so, um, and to say that, I mean, it's an anti-religion or anti-Islam or anti-hijab protest, I believe it's misleading and inaccurate because um, we have been seeing in the recent weeks, especially um, with photos and footage emerging um, of different Iranian cities with women in uh, black chadors uh, joining women who are unveiled and removing their headscarves, all together protesting and all together uh, demonstrating in rallies and chants. So um, I believe this is um, a progressive and liberal movement. And this is um, one of the few instances that Iran's civil society has um, been able to um, demonstrate and publicly uh, manifest its um, aspirations. And now I guess it's um, a promising sign of at least uh, the Iranian civil society not being dormant or not being um, 
subject to oblivion. But uh, the fact that they have faced a huge crackdown and the fact that um, there has been violence unleashed, and this is uh, troubling. International condemnation has been coming in and the United Nations and other governments have been voicing concerns. But um, I really wish that, I mean, uh, we shouldn't have been a witness to this um, massive loss of life on such a such yeah. an extensive scale but still this is the reality yeah. and um we yeah. should look for future steps yeah so sorry for that you know these are all legitimate requests and demands uh, so and you mentioned that you know it's not just women but also men is chanting along with the women uh during the protest so uh i'm just wondering is there any significant support from political parties or other segments of society uh, I should say um, the political parties, I mean, as a result of a massive purge that has been going on in the recent uh, decades, especially in the aftermath of the 2009 uh, presidential election, uh, we no longer have functioning political parties representing diverse voices and diverse um, ideologies, uh, especially the reformist political parties, either they have been abolished or they have been uh, dissolved or they have stopped uh, operating or uh, those that remain active and functional uh, have become so conservative that uh, they are not actually representing uh, the popular demands or the, the, the aspirations of the people. And they are also like the government pretty much disconnected from the reality of life in, in Iran. So. Uh, political parties have not played a major role and they haven't been part of this um, social thrust and social um, upheaval. So the, the, cross, the, the, the uprising was pretty much um, homegrown and uh, self-directed with people mobilizing using their own networks, using their own uh, resources, uh, building on social media or their uh, family networks or their neighbor, neighborhood networks. And I believe that um, we should credit the Iranian citizens for what we have seen over the past weeks. Um, I've seen um, pro-reform dailies and newspapers in Iran trying to uh, actually reflect um, the protest movement and at least give coverage to what has been going on, which is admirable. And I guess um, considering the toxic and um, very restrictive um, climate that the media in Iran operate. Um, the work of some of these pro-reform uh, newspapers and um, online magazines um, should be really um, appreciated and uh, we should understand that they are subject to an entire spectrum of restrictions and prohibitions. Um, at least so far, I mean, based on what the Committee to Protect Journalists has reported, uh, 46 journalists have been arrested since the beginning of the protest, and uh, eight of them have been released uh, either on bail or permanently. But uh, this is one of the largest mass arrests of journalists anywhere in the modern times. And this is uh, horrible, I mean, I should say. But um, we are getting indications that the Iranian civil society is a still lively, is a still dynamic, but um, we don't have proof that political parties or a certain um, factions are contributing to the dynamism of the movement. There are individuals who are being very much um, influential in terms of how the movement is um, reflected and, and in terms of the support they're lending to the protest movement. Um, and some of them are artists, athletes, um, other influencers, um, actors, actresses, those who have been trying to use their um, popular base, their influence within the society to uh, be a voice for the Iranian protesters to echo the demands that have been made on the streets of Tehran, Rash, Shiraz, Isfahan, Tabriz, um, Ormia, and um, Saqqez and other cities. But um, they have been very much um, isolated incidents of a high profile um, personalities and public figures and luminaries actually using their own uh, resources and their own capabilities. And for example, a social um, um, media celebrity with 11 or 12 million followers on Instagram has used 
his own uh, kind of mandate and uh, his own uh, role in the society to uh, be a voice for the protesters, this has not been organized by any uh, certain political party. Um, and then we have seen an unprecedented trend of the government going after these influencers, arresting many of them. We have seen um, uh, members of the national football team, uh, the, I mean, at least some uh, former players of national football team who have been arrested. We have seen so many uh, famous film directors or actors and actresses being arrested. So this has been very much unprecedented in terms of how the government reacted to um, dignitaries and social celebrities um, um, coming in support of the protesters. Because in the past, uh, at least you could uh, have this perception that they were enjoying a kind of um, impunity because of their popularity, because of their um, um, idea of being famous, they were enjoying some degree of um, respect and they were at least not encroached on by the government and they were um, enjoying a degree of immunity, but now their immunity is being shattered and they are being taken into custody and some of them are released, some of them remain behind the bars. Um, this is a troubling trend. It means that even those who have for so many years contributed to um, the economic, social, international uh, prosperity of this country by being um, successful figures in any field, they they do not enjoy that immunity anymore. So um, yeah, but uh, in terms of, uh, a role playing by the political parties or uh, other sectors of the um, spectrum, I believe that their role has been very much limited and negligible. Um, mm -hmm. And um, this has been pretty much uh, organized, mobilized and driven forward by people themselves. Yeah, so uh, as you, you know, it's straight that uh, there's so much dynamism and also like the social media helps, uh, technology helps, but on the other side, the Iranian government has been resilient and successful in countering the previous uprising in the process, especially in the last um, three decades. So, um, and also you mentioned about the arrest and the, you know, the, uh, the policing, uh, the protesters, but the regime hasn't fully up unleashed the military forces and IRGC. <laughs> So do you think if the, uh, the protests uh, unfolds, um, uh, can, uh, do you expect the RGC uh, will come forward and you know, crack down the protesters in a much more violent way? Uh, I think uh, the prospective scenarios in terms of the crackdown um, can be that the government starts to resort to more brute force uh, if it comes to the conclusion that the protest is not going to be quelled uh, within a short span of time. And um, I mean, to some extent, I have this uh, impression that still the security forces resorted to um, violence while exercising some restraint because they really didn't want a massive bloody crackdown to be uh, associated with the legacy of President Ibrahim Raisi, who is the favorite of the establishment and who is the darling of the establishment. So, uh, for example, when protests were going on in 2019, uh, Hassan Rouhani was in power and he was a moderate, he was kind of pro-reform. And so uh, they went uh, on an all-out spree of killing and uh, a bloody crackdown ensued the protests because they were not concerned about uh, eventually um, Rouhani being liable and responsible for a crackdown that resulted in massive deaths and casualties. And Reuters eventually came up with the figure 1,500 uh, people um, being killed during the November 2019 protests. But right now, um, we are all um, aware that who is in power is Abraham Raisi, and he will eventually be questioned in international forums and wherever he travels, and he is the point of contact between Iran and the international community. So uh, maybe the security apparatus doesn't want Raisi to come under increasing pressure on behalf of the international community or uh, simply in order to spare him um, an outpouring of attack from his counterparts in other countries. Um, but I guess that there is a possibility the IRGC might be deployed as well. Um, and so uh, that the protest can be contained more uh, swiftly and more 
efficiently. Um, so far, I mean, even the, with the uh, sort of uh, response we have seen from Iran's security forces, uh, this has been a, a very disproportionate use of force in terms of um, cracking down on protesters, not even in terms of the casualties or fatalities, but uh, with how um, police responded to individual cases. And I mean, the video was uh, going viral on um, Iran's social media about uh, Iran's security forces uh, abusing a woman uh, protesting uh, on the street. Um, and that video uh, was captured by a random social media user and went viral on, on the media. So, uh, I mean, security forces beating and um, using batons and other, um, I mean, uh, even live ammunition in responding to uh, unarmed protesters, young people. Uh, so uh, what we have seen so far, um, I mean, is very much troubling because um, we are seeing that people who have been just exercising their rights to express themselves um, just without taking arms or without mm -hmm. disturbing the public uh, order. And they have been confronted in ways that I believe um, are not simply, not just unacceptable, but also pretty much brutal and uh, violent. And um, just earlier today, the United Nations issued one of its strong worded the statements against the Iranian government calling the authorities to be held calling on the authorities to be held accountable or what they have done in the past six weeks so I guess um, this is only earning the Iranian government's condemnation and um, censure on the international uh, stage and also uh, further multiplied anger and indignation among its own population and um, uh, so I believe that uh, so far it has been brutal enough to be uh, lamented and deplored. And if there is going to be further crackdown involving IRGC, uh, I'm not sure what will happen and what will uh, be emerging from the streets. And uh, But uh, uh, this will sow further divisions in the Iranian society, blocking any pathway to dialogue because this will reproduce people's anger and frustrations um, at the same time as um, taking individual on um, innocent lives. Oh yeah. So, so you mentioned about United Nations and uh, their condemnations. So, how do you evaluate the international community's uh, response? Do you do you find them sufficient, or uh, do you think they are helping, or they are making the case worse? Right. I mean, uh, in terms of the international response, I. I believe that uh, the international community should be very much prudent and wise in terms of crafting a response to the protests in Iran, because over the years, um, every time there is a social movement in Iran, whenever there is a protest uh, emerging, um, and as soon as the international community reacts to those protests, um, there is a coterie of Iranian hardliners and uh, government pundits and uh, the most radical elements of the establishment who come forward with the argument saying that this protest is funded and subsidized and financed by uh, foreign powers. Um, so these people on the streets are the agents of Israel or the United States or Britain or France, and they are paid to do this. So this is not a genuine and authentic movement. Um, so I believe that the international community should be very much careful in terms of how to put together a response that uh, is at the same time effective and at the same time um, not conducive uh, to uh, the, this impression that they are interfering in Iran's internal affairs. Because after all, uh, we can uh, argue that protests and social uprisings happen everywhere in every country in democratic settings, in undemocratic countries. Uh, there are protests in France, there are protests in the United States and everywhere. Um, but I mean, we know that the nature of these societies are different and we know that the response to the protests are also radically and fundamentally different. But um, now that there is this concern and this amount of anxiety about how the government has been responding, especially with its um, traumatizing internet blackout, which I guess we should have discussed. I mean, for the past uh, six weeks, 
people's access to internet has been substantially curtailed and um, almost all major social media platforms, international platforms, services, and even email servers, such simple services as Gmail have been uh, blocked in Iran. So people just resort to um, VPNs and uh, an entire constellation of uh, virtual private networks and uh, other um, anti-surveillance uh, mechanisms to be able to access internet and communicate with the loved ones and get access to information. So this is also important. But uh, after all, when the, the international co community and when the world governments, when uh, world bodies such as the United Nations are responding, uh, they should be very much prudent so as, so as not to play into the hands of hardliners who want to um, imply uh, and that this movement is not an authentic Iranian movement. While I should say this movement is definitely 100% a movement born out of people's personal and collective and communal uh, resentments, um, they are jaded with the government's restrict restrictions and prohibitive uh, policies on uh, civil liberties with rights. Um, so uh, it doesn't have anything to do with foreign uh, external players. But after all, um, the, move, uh, the movement should be respected for what it is. And if we are going to respond to it as external um, actors, we should be, um, I mean, very much um, careful and to some extent conservative because um, I mean, I heard that, for example, President Barack Obama was saying that he was um, kind of wrong in terms of not explicitly and uh, vocally siding with the protesters in the 2009 uh, Green Movement. Uh, and that kind of uh, failed to uh, lend the support needed for that movement to prosper and to uh, succeed. But uh, I guess... Um, I mean, that's open to debate anyway, um, whether or not Obama should have come forward explicitly siding with the protesters who were, by the way, um, the supporters of a certain candidate in the presidential election. So um, that could have made the things worse if Obama uh, just openly um, supported the certain candidate uh, while the other um, contender was the incumbent president. So. Um, but now, I mean, the international community has been very much vocal and the support that it needs to offer uh, to the Iranian people and protesters um, is to empower the Iranian civil society, to uh, actually empower the Iranian people by making available to them the means uh, to stay connected to the Internet uh, by offering um, Iranian students and those who wish to have the opportunity to move out of the country, the means to actually immigrate. Uh, we have already seen, for example, that that was something that I couldn't even comprehend by, by my own um, logic and in my limited capacity. The German Foreign Office has already uh, announced that it will limit the presence of its cultural institutions in Tehran in response to the protests. Okay, this, how this is going, how, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of surprised because, um, you're not going to be able to contribute to the development and empowerment of the civil society by limiting the cultural institutions and language institutions or academic centers that are already uh, being used by young Iranians who want to explore opportunities for um, immigration or just for learning a language and moving to Germany or for whatever purpose. I mean, um, some of the, these responses are very much extreme and uncalculated. And I should say that they should be more measured in terms of how they calibrate their approach to the protests. So um, by uh, limiting their diploma, and, and this is uh, being touted by many Iranian diaspora members as well, that uh, foreign countries, uh, European Union countries, the G7 countries need to limit their diplomatic presence in Iran, or they should cut off diplomatic ties with Iran. They, the only casualty of such extreme uh, gimmicks will be the Iranian people who are already isolated from the outside world. So this looks like the opposite way of helping. <laughs> um, right. And also I, I have a uh, kind of extreme respect for those, especially for those uh, ready to sacrifice their lives um, and protesting under this kind of, you know, um, repression and um, kind of danger on the streets. Uh, on the other side, you know, uh, Iranian, Iran, has a kind of very strong diaspora in the Western world. 
so how do you evaluate uh, the diaspora reaction to the protest? Do you think they are doing enough to support the movement? Um, the response by the diaspora community has been uh, significant and um, consequential. Um, at least uh, what they did on the uh, first day of October, um, calling um, Iranian expats in more than 150 cities across the world to uh, stage demonstrations in solidarity with the Iranian protesters and Iranian people, uh, that was a very strong uh, message of solidarity. That was um, something that I really uh, believe was effective. And um, in the city of Toronto in uh, Canada, at least 80,000 people turned up for the demonstration. That was unprecedented in the, in the city in terms of how it brought together uh, this divided community of Iranian diaspora, which at the same time as being very much dynamic and strong, is uh, pretty much uh, fragmented as well because uh, of the different political ideologies that it, they stick to and uh, for their different lifestyles and for the introversions that actually get in the way of them coalescing around common ideas and common uh, values and common um, objectives to show support for something. Uh, everything. I mean, it can be everything. Um, so um, they have been trying to bridge their differences and um, ignore their divisions and come together in a show of support, which is significant. In um, Berlin, for example, in Germany, uh, more than 50,000 Iranians um, took to the streets in one day, and that was staggering. I mean, uh, even the local media were surprised by seeing, seeing so many Iranians um, storming the streets, chanting in different ways, um, sang, um, I mean, um, singing songs and um, making illustrations and um, using all sorts of different modes of expression to show their um, sympathy with the cause of the Iranian people. Um, so, um, and also at the same time, the response by the Iranian diaspora community uh, on social media has been um, substantive. Many of them, uh, such as uh, university professors, journalists, academics, uh, have been writing stories and articles and opinion pieces in uh, international publications, drawing attention to what's happening um, uh, on the streets of Iran. And absent the role playing of the Iranian diaspora, I believe that this movement wouldn't have garnered the attention that it has captured so far. Um, I mean, uh, much of the uh, narrative that has been uh, sculpted around the uh, woman life freedom movement in Iran has been uh, created by the Iranian diasporic, um, diasporic um, um, university professors, um, journalists, authors, think tank experts. So I believe that uh, their role has been uh, notable. Uh, but uh, we have at the same time seen many extreme and um, violent reactions which were um, unjustifiable. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen in the recent days many members of the diaspora going after um, Iranians they perceive to be sympathizing with the Iranian government on social media, indicting them, harassing them, attacking them. Um, and this is uh, not going to be conducive to the dialogue that we need and the unity that we need for this movement to prosper. Um, I mean, uh, this is what I've called the culture of vigilantism among the Iranian diaspora. Um, many of the people who are perceived to be affiliated with the government while they are not, or many of them who are perceived to be sympathizing with the government narrative uh, are being named and shamed. Their personal information are put on social media. Their identities are um, investigated. Even their likes and retweets and their comments are being investigated and scrutinized in a very uh, intrusive way by many members of the diaspora who um, claim to be uh, the exporters of democracy to a future Iran. While I believe this is not a democratic practice, uh, I mean, um, the, the doors to a critical debate, the doors to a civil debate have been um, shut by many members of the diaspora who are uh, making uh, the climate more toxic than it needs to be. I mean, this is a period characterized by the extreme 
uh, anxiety that exists, extreme um, concern, extreme uh, apprehension, but still uh, we can make sure that the road to a future uh, transition in Iran or the road to future um, beginnings in Iran um, can be paved. And what some of the, the members of the diaspora are doing, um, I mean, is not going to be helpful for such a transition or such a future. Um, I have seen, for example, um, many uh, members of diaspora uh, challenging the reporting and uh, the coverage of, uh, for example, BBC Persian for being a mouthpiece for the Iranian government. I mean, in what way can BBC Persian be a representative of the Iranian government while uh, its entire funding um, is either from the UK government or from public uh, broadcasting rights and donations? So, um, um, and I mean, some of the most distinguished uh, Iranian scholars and uh, academics and journalists in exile who have uh, suffered at the hands of the current government or who have, uh, I mean, made it clear over the years that they are independent voices. They are being unduly accused of being the representatives of the Iranian government. Um, and as such, their um, discourse is being discredited. And um, this should not happen. I mean, uh, we should allow people to speak. We should, if we if we claim that uh, we are going to um, advocate a democratic Iran in which all voices, all people, all backgrounds are respected and represented, um, these practices and these uh, um, steps that are being taken for silencing certain voices, this is not going to be. Um, I guess, uh, conducive to that kind of future, especially these people have been living in democratic settings for many years, exposed to the culture of tolerance and diversity that exists in these countries. And uh, now they are reacting to divergent and dis uh, disparate voices um, through ways that do not smack of uh, diversity, do not smack of tolerance, have no uh, hallmark of, uh, I mean, uh, that culture of tolerance, they have been exposed to for such a long time. I mean, if um, I live in the United States for 10 or 12 or 20 or 30 years, one thing that I will learn for sure is that I should be able to respect different um, worldviews, different mentalities. What we're seeing happening on social media is not representative of that education being received. Um, Krush, um, thank you so much for your for the fascinating conversation. So. Personally, I pretty much learned so much from you and I appreciated your insights about the background of the movement and you know um, the political dynamics in Iran and also diaspora and also international response. Uh, thanks again. Uh, hope to host you again in the future with good news. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Swad. Uh, it was a very interesting conversation and thank you for the opportunity.